you'll have to excuse me, my voice is almost gone. So as Ra mentioned, <clears throat> it's a bit too loud. There we go. As Ra mentioned, we were in New Zealand this week. Now, he mentioned that um, it was because of Roy's dad's visa. Now, what happened originally was that because Roy's dad has to leave the country every three months because he's on a tourist visa, when we originally bought the ticket, we bought it for the cheapest ticket out of Australia possible. And so, of course, it was New Zealand, and it was a red-eye flight. Now, what happened was a month later, we thought, oh, you know, how cruel it would be to send him to a foreign country all by himself. Um, and although it was only for three days, we thought maybe Roy should go along. So we bought Roy's ticket. And we thought it would be great for them to spend some father and son time. And then as time passed, Roy said, you should come too. Let's make a family holiday of it. And so after some reluctance, I thought, okay, fine, let's all go. So then all of us, including Micah, were on this red-eye flight that left at midnight and got there at 5 in the morning. Now, not only were we exhausted, but by the time we got through and, you know, we fill out all the cards and we get to, um, I guess, the customs and immigration part of the part of uh, the exit at the airport and sorry James I keep moving around um, we, we got there and you know they put our bags through the x-ray and basically there was an orange in the bags that we didn't realize were, was there and they were like what's this we're like oh we didn't realize it was there we forgot that it had been there in it previously and they're like I see follow us and then they charged us $400 for this orange Instead of just simply throwing it out, they, um, and that was the beginning of sorrows of, of three days of, there were some good moments, but the first 48 hours were miserable. The weather was terrible. It was pouring rain. We got lost several times and it was just a really bad trip. There were, there were moments of, of good, you know, happiness, maybe like an hour or two in the whole three days. And the rest of the time, we were just tired. Um, Micah was recovering from getting sick. I was starting to get sick. Uh, Royce was starting to get sick. Um, we were all very grumpy. And, you know, we were driving, and Auckland traffic is terrible. Um, they, they have, like, one lane on the highway. And so we're driving on the highway. It's pouring rain. We're tired, and Micah's in the back seat, and... And he starts screaming. And, oh, just got so frustrated. And, you know, he wanted to get out. And, and we just turned around and we were like, stop it. <laughs> and we got so upset. Um, not just at Micah, but like at each other. We were just all upset for the, for the three days. But um, I can only, you know, it was it was only three days. And it was only, you know... The actual car ride slash plane ride, um, you know, wasn't more than 10 hours at a time. But just the frustration and the anger just built up. And you don't even imagine what it must have been like for Moses and the Israelites. As they came out of Egypt and had to travel for years, not just days and months, years through the wilderness what it must have been like for Moses. Can you imagine what a tough job he had? 
can, can you imagine anyone signing up for what he had to do if there had been a job description, right? Leading thousands of people through the desert, no provisions, no map, no plans. And the story today is about what happened to Moses towards the end of that journey. And through, throughout this month of August, um, we've been presenting some difficult passages in the Bible. Passages in the Bible that make us pause and wonder, ooh, is, th- is that really how God is? And, and this story of Moses that we come to can be one of those stories because Moses makes a mistake. And you might think to yourself, what's the big deal, God? Why didn't you just let him go? Because as a result of this mistake, God tells Moses that he can't enter the promised land. And you think to yourself, this guy has been through so much. Couldn't you have let this one go? So let's look at the story um, a little bit in detail here. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. It reads... Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. And this is the the echo and the chorus that Moses had to hear for years, right? Every time there's difficulty, the Israelites are saying, why did you bring us? It's better if we had died. And it says in this passage that Miriam had just passed away. Now, I remember Miriam um, was Moses' older sister. So Moses is not just tired, he's grieving. He has just lost his sister who has been his, at his right hand along with Aaron. And so he's lost a great ally, a great friend, a sister. And so he's mourning, he's tired, and then this happens. Even though the Bible doesn't really tell us what exactly Moses is thinking and feeling at this time, you can imagine that this is a man who is not in a good place. Now, when the Israelites complain this way, this is um, Moses' reaction. It says in verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. You can just sense the desperation. They're just like, ah, oh, now, God, what should we do? And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. Now pause for a moment. This is a very interesting command that the Lord gives because there was a previous time when there was no water. And at that time, God had told Moses, take a rod, go before a rock, strike the rock, and water would come out. And he had done so. But here God says, speak to the rock and water will come out. It's simple, but it is also a bit arbitrary. Simple, but also a bit arbitrary. And I don't know about you, but sometimes God's commands can be simple, but illogical. In other words, for example, the Garden of Eden, you can have all the fruit, 
but not this one, right? Simple, don't eat it. But there isn't necessarily logic and sense to it. They couldn't sit there and analyze, oh, okay, this fruit we can't eat because the chemicals and the, and the uh, compounds of this one is going to cause this effect. No, they were just simply told, don't eat it. Right? Even the idea of the Sabbath and keeping the seventh day holy, it's simple. But if you try to reason it out and argue with it, you'll have a difficult time. A lot of times God's commands, while we can see the effects, the beneficial effects um, for keeping them, and the negative effects for not keeping them are not always going to be logical, are not always meant for us to analyze. They're there for us to obey. Sometimes, some of his commands are simply there to test our faith and to see whether we're willing to trust and obey him. And so here, God tells Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out. Now, this is where we get to the part, the juicy part of the story. Simple command but Moses does not follow what God says. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Now when we analyze this passage, we get hints of what really happened. What was it that Moses did? What, what did Moses do that was so bad, right? Because at first it just seemed like, you know, okay, he struck the rock instead of talking to it. But is that it, right? That's, that's really all that he did wrong? Well, if you look at this verse, let's see if I can get this laser thing to work. Aha. Moses and I gathered the people, and what do, you, what do you notice here? He said to them, here now you, what's this word here? Rebels. Here's Moses, the meek and humble, patient, loving leader, who, when God said, after the Israelites worshipped the golden calf, and God said, in his, in his anger, he said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to start out fresh with a new group of people. And Moses said, no, 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 God, wipe my, out, my name out from the book of life, but not the people. Please. Here's that same guy who now is like, you rebels, right? He goes from being a loving leader, protecting his sheep, right? To one that is now picking up the rocks and, and throwing them at the sheep, right? Stoning them. You rebels! He's, he's now judging them instead of loving and protecting them, which is what he had been called to do. If you look in Psalm 106, verses 32 to 33, the psalmist says, They provoked the Israelites the Lord to wrath at the waters of Meribah. This, that's where this happened. So that it went hard with Moses on their account because they embittered his spirit and he spoke rashly with his words. They embittered his spirits and he spoke rashly with his words. When he called them rebels, he spoke in bitterness. Because you see, they said to Moses, you brought up the congregation of the Lord to this evil place. And so they're blaming Moses for everything that's happened, even though there's been wonderful things that have happened. And so Moses takes this very, very personally, and it makes him bitter. He's wounded, he's hurt. And in his bitterness, he speaks angry words. 
And what happens is that not only is he angry at them, very quickly this escalates into something else. Notice here, he says, Hear now you rebels, and then must, what word is this? We, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Do you notice what's happened here? Let me ask you, does Moses have power to bring water out of the rock? What do you think? Does Moses have power to bring, do you have power to bring water out of the rock? No. Moses, on his own, could do nothing. But notice how Moses has placed himself in the royal we there, right? Must we bring water for you out of this rock? He's done two things here. First of all, he has placed himself away from the people. Second of all, he's placed himself where God is supposed to be. Only God has the right to judge others. Only God has the right to condemn. But we see that Moses has placed himself in the judge's shoes, in God's shoes, and said, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of the rock? Now, this is a very inaccurate statement because Moses is thirsty too. Moses is just as in need of water as they are. But he has forgotten that fact when he says, must we bring water for you out of the rock? It's very dangerous to, to especially as leaders or as very active uh, members, it's very dangerous to come to the point of burnout where you are not serving out of love anymore. Or you are loving, but you just come to that point where you're not rested, you, you haven't processed the stress, you haven't taken time to... Um, take your burdens to God or to relieve them in, in a healthy way and you have it all bottled up right I remember Moses his sister has died he's gone through a lot he's kept it's bottled up he hasn't processed it and when the people complain he lashes out at them and he forgets that he by doing that is just as rebellious as the rebels that he has now condemned because in the very moment that he's calling them rebels he is disobeying what God has told him to do so in that very moment of judging others, he is now judged. In the very moment that he is condemning others, he is now condemned. Because he has separated himself from the people, thinking that he is better than, when in actual fact, he is just as in need of that water and just as in need of God's mercy as everybody else. It's... um interesting when God speaks to Moses after this event he says because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them this was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them and Meribah means bitter now God says you did not believe me to hallow me let's let's think about what this means First of all, the idea of hallow means to make holy. Another word for holy is to make separate or distinct, different. That's what it means to be holy. So when God says, be holy just as I am holy, he's saying, be different just like I am different. Different from what? You see, when when God said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the rock and I will provide water, they didn't 
believe. They didn't believe. Why not? Why didn't they believe? Is it because they didn't believe that God had power? I don't think that's it. I think Moses and Aaron knew full well that God had power to do whatever he wanted to do. So it wasn't a doubt of God's existence. It wasn't a doubt of God's power. It was doubt of God's desire to provide. In other words, when Moses felt that anger, that bitterness towards the Israelites, he was thinking, you don't deserve this water. You don't deserve to get to the promised land. And so in the back of his mind, he's thinking to himself, oh, there shouldn't be water for them. They don't deserve this. And I, I wonder if it was a mix of anger and doubt, whether God would provide for these people who don't deserve it, mixed with somehow disbelief that speaking alone to this rock would do any good. So disbelief in God, God had said, all of that somehow mixed together. And if you go back to the verse, it says that he, after he says, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Lifted his hand and struck the rock twice. Now, I think the passage is very specific there about lifting his hand and striking. Because what kind of emotion do you picture him doing? Is, is it like a like, like, tap with a wand, you know? No, he's acting in anger, right? When you lift your hand, that you're really going for a big swing, aren't you? You're going to give a good whack. And not just one, you know? You, you hear about violent crimes and you, you, you hear about these terrible crimes where people just get, get um, you know, smacked or, or stabbed multiple times and you wonder, why? why? Isn't that unnecessary? And it really goes to show the emotional nature of the crime. And here Moses... You know, it's not good enough for him to whack it once. He, go, he goes, whack, whack, right? Twice. He strikes it. He's really upset. And he really doesn't believe that speaking to this rock will bring water out. But you know what's crazy in this story? People, you know, they all, you know, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't such a big deal. God, how come, you know, you didn't let Moses into the promised land? But then no one stops and says, wait a second. The people are undeserving. Moses messed up. Why did water come out at all? Maybe thunder should have come out of heaven. Or maybe judgment should have struck Moses right away and the people. But instead, water comes out. And, and maybe if it, if it were me, and I'm feeling particularly merciful, maybe I would send a trickle just to send the right message, right? But it says that water came out, how? Abundantly. Abundantly. And the congregation and the animals drank. God is different than we are while we would retaliate and while we would practice justice and while we would want repercussions and we want the punishment to fit the crime, what God shows is that he's different. God is not a God of justice only. God is not a God who just gives eye for an eye. God is a God of mercy. And he shows that he is different. 
And the reason why he says to Moses that he he didn't show, um, he didn't hallow God in the eyes of the children of Israel, is because when God told Moses to speak to the rock, he wanted to illustrate a point. Before, he wanted Moses to strike the rock in a previous incident because that rock represented Jesus Christ. And there's a verse in 1 Corinthians um, where Paul says that. He says, more of a brother, and I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So in the previous story, I believe it's Exodus 17, where God told um, Moses strike the rock and water flowed out, that represented how Jesus Christ would be killed. And through his death, abundant mercy and forgiveness comes out that provides eternal life for all. So then when they come to this second place where there is no water, God says, speak to the rock. Because God wanted to illustrate that Jesus Christ only needed to die once. And now, by speaking to God, it's enough for mercy and forgiveness to flow out in abundance. Jesus doesn't need to be crucified all over again for our sins. But Moses messed up that illustration by striking the rock twice. But the mercy of God, because he's different, he chooses even that failure moment to turn it into an opportunity to show the people, you know what? I'm going to show you mercy anyway. And I'm going to show it in abundance. And so then he provides this gushing fountain of water that allows all of the congregation and their animals to drink. God is different than we are. That verse in Psalm 85, from which I have, uh, before I go there, the idea of Jesus being the rock. Have you heard that hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me? Have you ever looked at the words? It says, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. You see, grace is this undeserved and abundant gift of forgiveness and restoration. And so at the cross, when Jesus died for us, right? The reason why his death was enough for all eternity, for all humanity, is because the death that he died not only served as the, as, um, the sentence of justice that paid the penalties of every single one of our crimes, including my anger and, and frustration, this week, but at the same time that he is um, providing justice, he's also providing mercy. And I've shared this before of how whenever we're angry at someone or something or even God himself, that God is basically allowing us and inviting us to say, you know what, go ahead, take that piece of nail and nail me to the cross. Take out your anger, hammer it good. And Jesus says, but as you do that, remember 
to picture in that moment, turning to you, Jesus himself saying, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. And so at the cross, we get justice for all the wrong that has been done to us, all the pain and suffering we have to go through unjustly. But at the same time, we ourselves get forgiveness for the bitterness and the anger that we hold for the pain that we have experienced, as well as the pain that we have inflicted on others. And that is why in Psalm 85, verse 10, it says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. I love this image. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Because here we see in the example of Moses as well as at the cross, that there is justice, but there's also mercy. So while the water is, is abundantly given to all who are in need, at the same time, God lets Moses know there is a consequence for what you have done. But that consequence is not his eternal salvation. The consequence is that he doesn't get to continue to lead this group of people into the promised land. But just when you think, oh, that's still a bit strict and that, that's still quite a, quite a big punishment, let's take a look. Is it really, was it really that, that big of a punishment? If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says, this is the end of um, the journey. It says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Por. But no one knows his grave to this day. And in verse 7, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes, it should say, were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. In other words, after Moses makes this mistake of being angry, being bitter, of turning against the people he's supposed to lead, as well as placing himself in God's place, being prideful, being judgmental, and messing up with God's illustration and disobeying, even though he did all that, God didn't strike him dead at that moment. Moses lived to a ripe old age of 120. So, you know, from Numbers 20 to the Deuteronomy 34, that, that's a long time that he still has leadership of the people. And the verse says, he was not sick, his strength was full, his eyesight had not dimmed, he in fact, at 120 years old, climbs up the mountain by himself, and then God himself buries Moses. That's quite a funeral service where God himself buries Moses. That's not so bad. And not only that, there's a hint in Numbers 20, or sorry, Deuteronomy 34. There's a hint that Moses doesn't stay there very long. Notice how uh, in, in, the, in the verse it said, nobody knows where he is buried. Nobody knows where his grave is. And if you actually go to Jude, I didn't put it on the screen, but if you go to Jude, which is the little tiny book right before Revelation, it says in verse 9, Jude, uh, there's only one chapter, Verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, the devil and the, mar the archangel are fighting over the body of Moses. Now, who do you think won that fight? Who do you think won that fight? God or Satan? 
when they fought over the body of Moses. And how do you know? <laughs> Satan and God fought over the body of Moses, the body that God himself buried on the mountain. And we know that God won the fight because when Jesus comes to earth, and it is towards the end of his three and a half years of ministry, he goes up to a mountain. And who appears to him? Moses and Elijah. Moses had been resurrected. And so, yes, it's true. Moses didn't get into the promised land of Canaan, but he got to go to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a better deal. I personally think it's an awesome deal. He didn't have to deal with the Israelites anymore. <laughs> and he's like, here, Joshua, you can take them. But here's Moses now, able to talk to Jesus himself. Can you imagine? Moses messed up, right? He struck this rock. And like I said, that rock represented Jesus Christ. And so when Moses struck that rock in anger, figuratively speaking, he is striking Jesus. He is sinning against God. He's hurting God. And can you imagine how Moses then, on that mountain of transfiguration, Talking to Jesus could tell Jesus, Hey, I know your disciples are really stubborn and unknowing. I understand. And, and I can imagine him saying to Jesus, Don't give up now. Love them to the end. You're going to go through a really difficult time. They're all going to turn against you and persecute you and you're going to be crucified. But you will be resurrected just like I was. And, and you can imagine Moses thinking about that rock that he struck, knowing that he messed up, knowing that it was a sin against God, knowing that it represented Jesus Christ. And you can, you can imagine Moses watching Jesus go to the cross and his body being broken. And when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, water and blood poured out. And can you imagine resurrected Moses watching that scene remembering that time he struck that rock in anger and out came abundant water. And at that moment, Moses can say, mercy and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. For there it is, that abundant mercy and forgiveness made possible through the death of Christ. Made possible even though we don't deserve it. Made possible even though we mess up all the time. So at the end of the story, when I look back, this story is not a story about God being strict on Moses. This story is not about God, um, you know, punishing Moses and, and, and giving Moses a hard time when he's been through so much, even though Moses has been through much. But it's really a story of grace. And it's really a story about how Jesus provides that grace to each and every one of us. In New Zealand, I held on to my bitterness longer than usual. Usually, I get over things pretty quickly. But I don't know what it was about Auckland. Roy and I are coming back. We said, we're never going back. <laughs> we had, I don't know what it was, but we were just, the whole time we were there, and every time we tried to reconcile, like, it just got worse. And it just uh, got to this place where Roy turned to me, and he said, you know, for the first time since we've been married... <laughs> And, you know, it's only been two years. But it was like, for the first time since we've been married, he's like, this is the first time you've been defiant. <laughs> and, um, 
And I just thought to myself, oh, yeah, I just, I, I'm so angry. Like, I can't, I can't get rid of this, like, just bitterness. And usually I'm very, um, usually one of, you know, I have a lot of bad characteristics, but one of my good qualities is that I can usually get over things very quickly and I'm very quick to forgive. But this time around, I was kind of just grumbling to myself, like, wow, I can't believe he did that. You know, just grumbling. Um, and I just, it just got to the point where I finally asked myself, cause you know, like, Usually I forgive really quickly, but this time I thought to myself, oh, he doesn't deserve it, and I'm going to hold on to my anger, and I want to stay angry. Now I'll show him kind of a thing. And then I, I, this thought came to my mind. And that thought was, well, is that really what I want? Right? To punish him. Like, what, what will that achieve? And as I thought about it, I realized, well, the end result is I'm destroying my own family and destroy my own character. And is that really what I wanted? And it wasn't. Um, and at that moment, I had that choice then to let go, you know, and, and forgive her for whatever he did, also let go of my own bitterness and just kind of ask God for forgiveness for my own reaction to the things that have happened. And you know, the bottom line is we cannot control what other people do or say. And some people might hurt us unintentionally. And some people might hurt us intentionally. And a lot of things may happen, but we are not responsible for that. But what we are responsible for, and what Moses was held accountable for, was our reaction in response. How could we hold on to our anger and our bitterness when God has flowed out his mercy and forgiveness to us? When Jesus says that he is the living water in John chapter 7, he had said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying not only is he the rock of ages, he's actually saying that when we believe in him, he makes us fountains of water. So that when people strike us in anger, when, when we are broken into, that instead of lashing out that we can actually release mercy and forgiveness. We become fountains of living water. We can be perfect as God is perfect. We can be merciful as God is merciful. We can be holy as God is holy. We can be different as God is different. And so my challenge this afternoon is that if you are on the edge of burnout, learn from Moses. Take a break. I think the Sabbath is a wonderful day to rest, right? It's a reminder, I think, to release some of the stress that we have been through during the week. Perhaps it's a good time to just pray and speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and believe that it was when we speak, we don't need to see a miracle before our eyes, that when we speak, that mercy from heaven will flow out in abundant streams. Perhaps we're stressed this afternoon and tired. Perhaps we're angry and bitter for something that's happened during this week. It's time to speak to the rock of ages and ask him to turn us into fountains of water that we ourselves can practice mercy. Bronwyn handed out some um, handouts for you. And it's a worksheet that um, is from a book that, that I have found very helpful. It's a worksheet called Moving from Bitterness to Forgiveness, and it just has a few steps 
Um, it says to prayerfully ask Jesus to bring to your awareness each individual who at any time in the past has caused pain to your heart and against whom you have held bitter feelings. And as you pray, and then, you know, on a piece of paper, as you write down events or names or just whatever comes to mind as you pray through it, you, you list each person, each event separately. And then it suggests that you actually write down, um, how it made you feel. And if you look at the very last page on the, turn to the back, there's a list of emotional pain words. And the reason why that's helpful is because sometimes if we have not fully expressed how, um, how that event has made us feel, um, you know, if we just say, oh, this person hurt me and, you know, I want to forgive, but sometimes we just need to process it out. And so that's there to help you. And what I want to read now is just a suggested prayer. And this is a suggested prayer for those of you who don't know even where to begin. That you just pray and you say, Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive, you know, blank for blank, which caused me to feel and put some words in there. I'm willing to release him or her from my judgment and the debt that I feel that they owe me. He or she has no further obligations to me. I gladly transfer all this pain and the consequences that I have suffered to you, my Savior. Thank you for being willing to take it from me. Jesus, I confess my sin of unforgiveness against this person to you and ask that you take back the ground that the enemy has held in my heart from this bitterness. I yield my heart completely to you. Thank you for cleansing of my heart today. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And then it says in step five that the final step is to take some time to, from your heart, right, pray a blessing prayer for your offender. Now that's the hardest step. I've often come to this step and I've paused and I said, I cannot ask God to bless this person, right? Because you have to bless, you know, help, like if, especially if you know what the needs are, to actually pray that all the needs be met. You find yourself saying, I don't want them to be blessed. I want them to suffer, right? And that's when you realize, I have to go back to step number one. <laughs> and then that's when you realize, man, I really, I really need to just, yeah, go back in prayer and just ask for forgiveness for my bitterness. And you just have to keep doing it. Um, and believe that as you pray for this person, and if possible, you can reconcile with this person, that the streams of mercy that God provides will turn us into fountains of water. And as we become fountains of water, like that poem that Stephen, Stephen read in the beginning, that it's twice blessed, the stream of mercy. Blessing to the person who receives and the blessing to the person who gives. So my prayer for all of us here at the at, um the exchange this afternoon is that we will experience that twi twice best blessed stream of mercy and that as we speak to the rock of ages that he will pour out in abundance his mercy to us and allow us to become fountains of living water so may you be blessed and may you as you go through this on your own um yeah find that peace and righteousness have truly met in our hearts Your tender mercies lie.
Preds for prayer. Father, thank you that your grace is deeper and wider and higher than anything that our eyes can see. Thank you that you allow this mercy and this grace to flow out abundantly when we don't deserve it. And I pray that as we experience the healing power of your mercy, that we ourselves will become fountains of living water, providing and extending that mercy to others so that we too can be blessed by the power of forgiveness. And I pray that um, as we go through the exercise, also as we discuss this um, topic, that your Holy Spirit would bring to our minds um, individuals or instances that we really need to let go of, and that also you'll teach us, Father God, to be different the way that you are different, and that as we become more like you, others would see how wonderful you are. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.